Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Now, we are looking through the, studying through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, we are at chapter 4, but it may be good for us to review the first three chapters um, just, for, just for a second. So chapter 1, one of the first things we see, Paul encourages this church, and he tells them, you know what, you are so hospitable, you were so kind, you were so good to me when I came to see you, I appreciate you, you love each other well, that is such a good thing. And so he gives them this encouragement. But before he does, what he says is he says, and I'm so proud of you for turning from your idols in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming. If you remember, through Thessalonians, there's this constant theme. Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And Paul ends every single thought with this idea of, oh, and don't forget, Jesus is coming. He's coming. It seems to me that the coming of Christ, and, and this is what it is, but I oftentimes think of it inside of my own mind as it's a thing that only Christians should be concerned about. But when you read about it, and there's a reason they call it apocalyptic literature, when you read about it, like what is going on like globally, like in the universe when Jesus comes back, um, like it's going to happen whether you believe or whether you don't believe. Like he's still going to come back. And when he does, it's still going to be terrifying. And you could be like, well, here's the thing. I choose to not believe this right now. And that won't matter. Like it will not matter. I don't know if I believe in God. Well, he's coming for you one way or the other. He believes in you, you know. And there's this kind of... And oftentimes I don't think about it like that. I think about it like, well, this is the, what Christians should do and concern themselves with. But like when the sky gets torn open and he comes back, that's going to be an altogether different deal. That involves everyone, you know. There's no, I choose to um, uh, forget about your reality and supplement my own, you know. Like there's no, there's no, there's no trading out, you know, realities. So Paul tells them, You've done a good job, and Jesus is coming. Chapter 2, he says to him uh, that he has been persecuted. And he says, I'm also aware of you as a church in Thessalonica that you've been persecuted. And I appreciate so much that you've stayed strong. Chapter 3, he comes on and he says um, that he was worried that the tempter was going to snake his way into the church while these people were going through these hard times. And if the tempter did show up, and begin to kind of manipulate people and play on their weaknesses, especially in a moment of, of trial, that they would maybe lose their faith. And so he says, I sent Timothy to you. And you blew my mind with what you said to Timothy. Your faith was so strong that Timothy came back and he's like, I right, listen, they might be doing better than us. I don't know. Like, they're doing good. They're doing good. And Paul says, I was so thankful. And if you remember, one of the things we talked about is anytime God gets involved in a situation, it's kind of hard to tell who's saving who. And what Paul is saying here is, we came to be the missionaries to you, and then you were the missionaries to us. We thank you so much for that. Oh, and P.S., Jesus is coming. That's what Paul does. 
He's going to come and rescue us. Don't worry about the persecution. It's only going to hurt for a minute. Jesus is coming. Then we get to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Finally, brothers, we instructed you on how to live in an order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. This is a really, and it doesn't sound mind-blowing to us as a church, uh, because for us, we've heard this so many times. We've grown up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We sing all these happy, cheery songs about, about Jesus and how much he loves us. But to those in Thessalonica, their understanding of who the gods were was based on superstition and fear and luck. And these gods were not personal gods. And so when Paul writes, continue to live in such a way as to please the Lord, in their mind, it would have been like, you can actually please him? Like, like God could be like in a neutral mood and I could do something good and then God would be like, that thrills me. That we can actually please God? I'm at the gym the other day and there's these two guys sitting there talking. They have some stuff in common and and I wanted to get these two guys together because I wanted to hear them talk and tell each other their stories. And one guy says to the other, this is what's going on in my life and my journey, and I won't give you the specifics, but he lays it all out there. And the other guy, he has been through the very same thing, and he says to the other guy, you know what, hang in there. It's hard. Don't quit. Hang in there. Do the right thing. Keep trucking. Don't get weak. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a cool, this is a cool connection, you know? Of course, it's like 5 o'clock in the freaking morning, you know? And so, but these two were having this conversation, and I'm, it was, it was awesome. One of the guys leaves and walks off, and uh, I think it was the next day. I'm sitting, I'm talking with the other guy that was so encouraging. So the one guy walks away with this brand new perspective. Somebody's on his team, he's got an ally. He's got somebody cheering for him, rooting for him. And he says, man, like, maybe I can handle this. Maybe I can do this. I'm talking to the other guy the next day. And I said, you know, I said, that was such a cool, that was such a cool thing that you did. And he's like, what, what do you mean? I was like, you don't know that, you don't know that guy's situation. I do. Like, I know what he's going through right now. And like, you just stepped right in and said every, like a key in a door and just unlocked this guy. And I saw the guy get emotional. Five o'clock in the morning in a weight room with tough guys, right? And one guy's like, that's a good one, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, this is so good. So I'm talking to this guy the next day and I said, there's a, there's a verse that comes to mind when I see those kind of situations happen. I think it's Psalm, Psalm 113. He has compassion on those who fear him. For he looks at our form and he remembers that we are just dust. And I told the guy that I was talking to, the, the guy that was so encouraging, I said, here's what I think happens. I said, dude, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying to that guy what you said. I said, it was perfect. And he's like, you know, okay, calm down. I don't know, you know. And I said, but here's what I think happens in heaven. 
I think when those situations unfold, this guy says to this guy, hang in there, don't lose heart, keep fighting, don't quit, don't be a wuss, step up, do the dang thing. And he's, and he's cheering this guy on. I think what happens in heaven is this. God goes, shh, shh. And everybody stops singing and stops doing what they're doing and laughing and joking. And they all stop and they turn around like, what is it? And he's like, watch, watch. And so everybody's like, okay, we're, we're watching, we're watching. Did you just see that? I think I did. I don't What? What was it? This one here? took his hands and he lifted the heavy weight off of this one's spirit and he threw it aside and he picked him up and he dusted him off and he put him back. Did you see that happen? And I think maybe the heavenly beings are like, that's what you told him to do. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But do you remember when I made them out of dirt? Like they're dirt. Like they're, I made them out of dust and now look what they're doing. They blows my mind. And that's what I think happens in heaven. Of course, that guy kind of looked at me kind of like, you're looking at me, he's like, maybe, I don't know. It's a little intense, you know. I don't, I don't know if I'm okay with that, you know. But that's what I think. That's the verse that comes to mind because I think he knows what we're made of. He knows where we're broken. He knows where we're weak. And when we move past that, when we rise above our dirt level, our dust level, and into the divine, we take a piece of heaven and we bring it here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. Our job is to grab some of that and put it here. Like God can actually be pleased with us when we can grab a piece of that and we can put it here. And when we do, what happens? People are changed. People are changed. I sat and I thought about those two guys all day long because like, they had no business talking to each other, you know? It was perfect. They had no business talking to each other. But both of them walked away. And the other guy's like, dude, like, I feel pretty useful. <laughs> like, you know, that's kind of important. Having a purpose in your life is kind of, is kind of important, you know? Like, you are useful. So Paul tells him, continue to live in such a way to please God. The next part he says is this. Verse 3. I don't know if you saw the warning on the slides. Did you see the warning on the slides? No? Okay. Well, we'll do our best. Do our best to work with that. If we uh, spark any conversations that you don't want to have at home, you can pull the ripcord and bail if you need to. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality and that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Sanctified means set apart. Made for something holy. Used for a specific holy purpose. Something from the temple. These are sanctified Things And what God is saying to us is that we must be set apart as well. Paul tells them, be sanctified. Now, that's not the part that really trips me out. What's crazy to me is that he says, be sanctified, and then he doesn't say, go to church regularly. He doesn't say, and don't gossip. 
He doesn't say, um, be sanctified and then read your Bible every day. Why this one? Why did he pick this one? Be sanctified and keep yourself sexually pure. Well, it could be that in Greece, you're talking about a culture that was, their religious system worked off of the idea of temple prostitutes. How do you connect with God or the gods? You go to the temple, you worship. Part of the, part of the worship, the ritual, was to um, engage with a temple prostitute. And so maybe what Paul is saying is, I know your culture has just convinced you, has just kind of lulled you to sleep on this, but uh, it's wrong. Stop doing it. And that could be part of it. He writes to the Corinthians and he says, um, abstain from sexual impurity, debauchery. He writes to the Ephesians, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. He writes to the Galatians and he tells them the uh, acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual Im Im immorality, impurity, debauchery. He writes to the Hebrews and tells them the same thing. Why this one? Why would he pick this one? That seems odd to me. Now, culture can get gobbled up by this. You know this. Our culture is completely eaten with it. But it doesn't make sense in my head. Why in the world would this be the next one? And then I remember that verse from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6. Here it is right here. 1 Corinthians 6. 18 through 19. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You who have received God. You are not your own. If a person becomes a redeemed person, gives their entire being, their will, over to the care of Christ, repents of their sins, is baptized, receives Jesus, the Holy Spirit, begins to live for them, they are a redeemed person completely. Body, soul, mind, completely. That means it is now sanctified. It is now set apart for holy use. This verse here says this, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this, this is cool to me. The temple has always been a place to where people go and they meet God there. And then Paul writes, your body is that temple. It is to where, it is the system to which you will go and meet God. It's portable, it's mobile. Sounds like a, infomercial doesn't it no your body is the temple of the holy spirit okay so it is where the real you inside of your body worships and meets god in your body isn't this kind of a crazy thought your consciousness you're only aware of your consciousness from inside of your body your body is used to connect with god how would you feel if this church operated on two different levels Here's the first one. 
Friday and Saturday night, we run a brothel. Sunday morning, we'll have church. How many of you are okay with that? Oh, none? There would be something seriously, you could even say in your mind like, well, I mean, at least the offering's up or whatever, you know? But would you be okay with that? No. You wouldn't. Not at all. Why? Because you don't do that with a church building. And you don't do it with a temple either. That act has everything to do with worship. And when you bring another God inside the temple, that's called idolatry. And where there's idolatry, God loses his mind. I don't know if you're familiar with the history. He tends to lose his mind. He says, for I am a jealous God. Gets a little, uh, gets a little interesting. He goes on. Holy and honorable, verse 5, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Well, how do we jump from sexual immorality to brotherly love? Here's how. Because when you take part in any sort of sexual sin, any sort of sexual intimacy that is not with your wife or your husband, that is somebody's mother, daughter, sister, wife, brother, father, son, husband. Because that can ruin brotherly love that can split a church right down the middle that can ruin relationships you've seen this ruin relationships this is what it does what paul says is this is a this is a very easy fix do you want to keep the unity in the church yes we do okay then don't do that you know what's crazy to me is that you have to say this that they were in a culture that this had to be said we used to have a phrase years ago Luke and I used to secretly say it, or I would secretly say it to him, I, just only around him. I wish people would stop intermingling with other people in their marriages, because it's going to be real awkward when we're all going to church together. Because it's going to be. And we can forgive, and we can move on, and we can grow past it, and that's beautiful. But it's going to be. And how can we keep the unity of the church? By respecting each other in this area and in this way. This might also be a good time, and I know this isn't for everybody, but it might be a good time for me to mention that if you, if you suspect that you, your kid, your spouse, some friend of yours that you know is in a place to where they cannot get away from um, this pattern, of behavior that there's help this church has a history of being very open and honest about this conversation and if you know somebody your kid you your spouse 
whatever's going on and you need somebody to talk to, there are resources available and there are people who would love to talk to you about it. All right? You with me? You're all looking shell-shocked. All right? So if you need something in that area, let us know so we can talk through it. All right? Verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 9. This is where we get to the part that's fun. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, do so more and more. Verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we have told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Listen to this phrase. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, this is going to cause half of you to consider um, uh, deactivating your Facebook and your Twitter account, all right? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Here's the phrase. Desire earnestly to cease all altercations. That means when you're on Facebook, okay, and somebody says a thing that you disagree with, you should strive to cease altercation. Yeah, 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 but no, no, no. You should strive to cease altercation. It's too, it's too easy. And if you don't mind me saying, it's also too stupid. All right? Not one single time. And this blows my mind. Like, during the election, you know what blew my mind? Is the number of people that were voting on Facebook. Like, that was where they were voting. Like, this is my... I, and I can promise you this, I don't have the statistics, but I know this to be true. There are people who put all of their political stuff on Facebook and never made it to the booth. But, hey, they thought it helped. They thought it made a difference. It's dumb to have these altercations, to engage with something. It's dumb. It's absolutely dumb. Make a comment. Be witty. Be funny. Bounce out of the con. Hey, that 72 comments later after somebody says uh, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas or whatever, ridiculous. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Why? Because what will happen is this. You will win the respect of outsiders when they look at your life and they see how it is that you live. It's an interior design word and it's called decor. When they see your decor. If your decor is bad, people know your decor is bad. If your decor is just... There's a difference between a cheap painting hanging on the wall, right? And a painting. I mean a cheap print and a painting. There's a difference. If you have somebody who knows the difference, you're not tricking anybody. You see, people can be fooled by a lot of things. You know what they can't be fooled by? Authenticity. It's either real or it's not real. Either your decor is real or it's not real. You either are who you are or you're not. And when people look at it, they go, oh, that's not real. That's not real at all. 
And on some level, what Paul tells them is this. If you want to take, if you want to um, leave an impression on the people who are outside the church, then clean up your decor. Walk with these people. Walk towards these people with authenticity. And when you do, you will win their respect. See, for some of us, talking to some friends the other day, I don't have the kind of job to where I'm surrounded by, you know, bonehead, well, maybe bone, I'm not, sur- I'm surrounded by um, unbelievers all the time. Like, that's not what my, this is where I spend some of my time with you. And when I'm talking to other people, I'm typically not spending time with people who are hostile towards Jesus. Typically when we're talking, they're, they're talking because, hey, can you help me get through something? And how do I connect with God on this level? That's typically where my conversations are. So I don't have the conversations of people who are just like, like I care, you know? I don't have those. For some of us, it's the places we go. It's the people that we leave an impression on. It's the conversations that we start. It's how strategic we are, like Paul in Acts 17, when he begins to compliment the people. We're taking these bits and these pieces and we're sliding them under the door and we're hoping to hook somebody with something that we say or start a conversation that's going to be good for them or we compliment them. But see, some of you, the only way you're going to leave an impression on the people around you is by you putting your head down, working your hardest and making sure that what comes out of your mouth and all of your actions are pleasing to God. And when that happens, you win the respect of the people on the outside. But that's the only way. Some of you live in that environment all the time. And that's the only way you can live is by putting your head down and just being the kind of person that you need to be, making sure your decor is authentic, that who you are is real through and through, that you're not faking, that you're not trying to be more spiritual than you are, and that you're not trying to play it down and play in the gutter so that people won't think you're a weirdo. It's just you loving Jesus and being yourself. Last part. Verse 13. Now, this gets, this, this gets kind of cool for a second. Paul's closing out chapter 4. He's going to mention Jesus in his return. Verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of, like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him or, have, or who have died. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This last Easter, I went back to my in-law's house so that we could um, throw plastic eggs in the gutter and forget they're there. Um, hide them in stuff, whatever. So we go back. <laughs> so I get out of the truck. As soon as I get out of the truck, my father-in-law, who is a very spiritual man, um, steps out of the house, meets me halfway across the driveway, and his first words to me are this. You know, one preacher says this is exactly what the return of Christ will be like. And I go, 
I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I've, there's no context for this. It's just random information. You know, I love Twizzlers, and I really like Calico Cats. Like, <laughs> not, I, I don't know what to tell you. Some preachers say this is what the return of Christ will be like. And I said, oh, yeah? I mean, instantly, like, I don't know what we're talking about, you know? He says, yeah, when someone you love comes to your house and you can't wait to get, you can't wait to see them. And so you go out into the driveway and you meet them there. Oh. With the context, it makes a lot more sense, you know? I like it. There's this moment that happens three or four days a week if I'm home at the time. Between four and five, there's a series of events that unfold. My dogs bark. I hear the garage door motor kind of uh, engage. I hear the garage door squeak, this terrible shriek that it has. I hear doors begin to slam. I hear little voices begin to chatter. I hear the inside door open. I hear the inside door slam. And then this is what I hear. Hello? Anybody home? And sometimes I just wait. I don't say a word. Hello, anybody home? And I wait. Because here's what I know. If I don't say anything, and I'm upstairs in my office, they'll all come upstairs. All of them. I will just hear this herd of feet. Just, here they'll come. They'll all come up. Hey, hey. And they'll all have stories. So guess what happened today? You're not going to believe what Tavia did, you know? You're not going to believe what this happened. You're not going to believe what happened here, you know? And they just got all these great stories. And they just tell me all this stuff. And I love that moment, that series of events, that there's going to be a moment to where all of these things are going to trigger the voice of God, this archangel, the trumpet of God, the sky's coming open. There's, he's going to show up, and then we're going to meet him. We're going to meet him. There's no more pain. There's no more problems. There's no more me trying to keep my brain between the lines, the moral lines of the highway. We just get to go and be. And the Apostle Paul says, that'll be a good day. That'll be a good day. And I would tell you the same thing. Look forward to that day. Encourage one another with those things. That look, it's only going to be a minute. It's only going to be, if it, if it takes our lifetime, it's only going to be a minute. It's going to be good. And the pain's going to be gone. And the worry's going to be gone. The fear's going to be gone. And you know what else is going to be gone? The regret. There won't be these things we regret anymore. There won't be these things that haunt us anymore. Paul says that, it's going to be good. That's going to be a good day. Let's pray. Next week, we're going to jump into chapter 5. It gets a little more intense. Um, it gets a little more intense. So we'll, uh, we'll have to uh, get tough on that one. So let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's writing and um, the way it's going to impact our life. We ask that we can... Uh, have the courage to make the changes that we need to make. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.